Well, it is good to be together this evening and continuing on through our exposition of the Baptist Catechism. Since the official weekly start of our evening service about a, half, a year and a half ago, now we have always combined this service with a prayer meeting up front, with a time set aside for the church gathered to mention thanksgivings and supplications, and then time for anyone who would desire to pray to pray, to lift up those prayers before the throne of God and before the group, which of course is a very normal thing for a church to do. The prayer is simply a part of the life of the Christian, and therefore it is certainly also a, a part of the life of the church. And so we come to question 105 tonight, and we are beginning now the last section in the catechism, and it happens to be on prayer, something that we are certainly familiar with, but also something that is good to be reminded about as well. Question number 105 through 114 will cover the topic of prayer, and all but the first two questions will be an exposition of the Lord's Prayer and its petitions. And so I hope and pray, of course, that our time thinking about prayer over the next few weeks will help us to better understand what prayer is and how to go about it as well. And we start out at the appropriate place this evening, asking the most basic of questions, and that is, what is prayer? Question 105 simply asks, what is prayer? Now, the most simple of answers is probably going to be that which is contained in the children's catechism, and that answer is simply talking to God. That's easy enough for a kid to remember, and it's a somewhat firm foundation for their little feet. Prayer isn't then what our culture often treats it as. It's not a way to change God's mind. It's not a means of getting what you want or a way of prospering yourself. But instead, it's, it's talking to God. And at its most basic level, prayer is actually just that. It's talking to God. But how exactly should that talking go? Does it matter? Are there things that we should consider when we're thinking about prayer? Well, the Reformed Baptists have an answer to this, and it's more specific than the answer that they gave in the Children's Catechism. What is prayer? asks question 105 in the Baptist Catechism, and the response is given. The answer is, prayer is an offering up our desires to God by the assistance of the Holy Spirit for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ, believing with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. And so my intent is to keep it pretty simple tonight, um, especially since we have nine more sermons on prayer. And the answer that the Baptists uh, Baptist give here in this catechism question provides us with a pretty straightforward outline for tonight. And so there's seven categories to address then, because those seven categories are listed right in the answer. So we'll just tackle them in order. And again, my, my intent at least is to be somewhat brief, which is a good thing since we spent a long time in prayer this evening as well. But also because we have nine more sermons in which we'll get into more detail on all of these topics. And we consider them more fully in light of the Lord's Prayer, how he taught uh, the church how to pray. Thomas Watson says this about prayer. He says, it's one thing to pray and, an and another thing to be given to prayer. He who prays frequently is said to be given to prayer, as he who often distributes alms is said to be given to charity. Prayer is a glorious ordinance. It is the soul's trading with heaven. God comes down to us by his spirit, and we go up to him by prayer. I like Watson's thoughts there on prayer. I'm sure that we all know someone, or maybe even used to be someone, who just used to pray. 
It's one thing to pray, as Thomas Watson said. I remember myself even before I was a Christian. When I was a little kid, I would pray when I wanted something. If there was something that I, a need that I thought I wanted that felt out of reach, I would perhaps pray. It was very situational. It's like that old saying, you know, there are no atheists in a foxhole. The, the point being that when bullets are whizzing over your head and explosions are happening all around you, even an atheist prays in that context. But that's not really describing Christian prayer. Christians pray in those situations, of course, but Christians are people who are given to prayer. Prayer is our communication to God, the God whom we love, the God who saved us. A Puritan Thomas Brooks said, Prayer is nothing more but the breathing that out before the Lord that was first breathed into us by the Spirit of the Lord. And, and that's distinctively Christian then, isn't it? It's communicating back to God what he has put in your heart. And that's what the catechism answer is simply aiming at. It's seeking to explain Christian prayer. All faiths have prayer, to, to my knowledge at least. But that doesn't mean that all prayer is the same. And maybe I'll say this up front, actually, uh, but you need to be aware of the pluralism and the syncretism that is going on in our culture and world today. It's not uncommon to see multi-faith events in which prayer takes place. And contrary to what the Roman Catholics have been teaching since the 1960s, uh, the sincere acts toward any God that, or this is what they teach, that sincere acts toward any God are accepted in the hope of interreligious activity the one true God is not like that. Even though God is the creator of all people, he doesn't bend his ear, as it were, to all of creation. Though, of course, he knows everything, and certainly nothing escapes him. But prayer is a unique form of communication between one who truly loves God and has been truly and savingly loved by God. And so be discerning if you ever find yourself in some interfaith, interreligious event. You don't want to be praying to demons. So then, Christian prayer, what is it? Well, the catechism first offers, number one, prayer is an offering up our desires to God. And the catechism cites Psalm 62, 8. That's where we could turn first. Psalm 62, 8. We do have a lot of page turning to do this evening, so I'll, I'll, I won't be able to wait too long just for the sake of time. Psalm 62.8 Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. We, we trust in God at all times. He is a refuge for us, a safe place, a shelter in the storm, an ark to that we can hide in as we travail through this life. And because of these things, we, by grace, are called to pour out our hearts before him. I suppose, you know, there are different ways that a person can pour, but it seems pretty obvious that the idea here is to not withhold anything from God, the God who knows all things as it were anyway. Our heart, which is sometimes called the, the seat of our desires, are to be open before the Lord in prayer. We, we pour out our desires before him. And why keep our desires from the one who loved us so completely? Unless, of course, you know, our desires are not appropriate, but we'll deal with that in a moment. 
I'm reminded of what the Puritan William Bridge said here. And by the way, the Puritans are like a mountain filled with gold when it comes to the topic of prayer. Um, I've been watching that Rings of Power show, maybe a mountain filled with mithril, if you want to think of it in a Tolkien vein, pun intended there. So if you haven't yet picked up the Valley of Vision, by the way, do so. It's a collection of Puritan prayers. I think it's like a devotional type of reading that I think would be a blessing to you. But anyways, William Bridge said, Prayer is the pouring out of the soul to God, not the pouring out of words, nor the pouring out of expressions, but the pouring out of the soul to God. And so when the Catechism says offering up, it's not meaning anything different than pouring out. And by offering up or pouring out, what it means is that prayer is the communication of our desires to God, our Father. Prayer is not simply thinking about God or having concerns. Rather, prayer is expressing a need from the heart to God. B.M. Palmer says in The Theology of Prayer that prayer is the language of creaturely dependence. Those who do not sense their needs then do not truly pray. Right? Often, when I, even in thinking of Thomas Watson's quote, it's, it's one thing to pray, but it's another thing to be given to prayer. There's a difference there. Uh, those who simply pray are like the Pharisees in the Lord's parable who stand in the temple stating how superior, was, superior, superior he was to others, said that he was praying this to himself and not to God. That's Luke 18, 11. You don't, really, you don't really notice that in the ESV. In the ESV, it sounds more like the Pharisee was standing all by himself, and that's probably also true. But note how the NASB translates it. If the graves were here, I would have asked them to verify. But in the NASB, Luke 18, 11 says, the Pharisee stood and began praying in this regard to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, crooked, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Essentially, what he's doing is pouring out his heart to himself. But that's not prayer. And we know in Jesus' example that the tax collector was the good example. Anyways, he was humble, beating his chest, saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. So, so prayer is not inward. It's, uh, it's upward. It's pouring out our desires to God. Contrast, scriptures picture true prayer as an offering rising up and seeking heaven's attention like incense offered before the lord in his in his temple romans or revelation 8 5 prayer is casting our anxieties on god first peter 5 7 crying to god in trouble psalm 34 17 and making needs known to him in every circumstance philippians 4 6 through 7 and we'll look at those verses in just a moment in other categories prayer is desire offered to God. Secondly, prayer is by the assistance of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is crucial to our prayers. If he is to lead us, we must neither quench or grieve his influences in our hearts, minds, and lives. Prayer is the Holy Spirit's enabling of us to talk to the Father. At the, at the very moment of our conversion, the Holy Spirit who regenerated our hearts also sealed us as adopted children of God. He put into our hearts the cry of one who is a child to God, that, that cry, Abba, Father, in Romans 8.15. And by that, it's not meant to speak of some baby talk or something like that, 
but it's meant to capture the nearness of the access that we have because the Spirit is one with the Father and the Son, and then we get to share in that oneness as well. And the Catechism here cites Romans 8.26, and we'll read Romans 8.27 as well. I don't, I don't know why the Catechism always does this, but it cites one verse, but it, when it, we should really cite two or three that, right, that are right around there. I don't know if they were trying to save ink or what they were doing. But we're going to read Romans 8.26 and 8.27. If you have your Bible. This is probably a, a passage that is familiar to many of you anyways. Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Well, true prayer, then, is authored by the intercessory work of the Holy Spirit, which is interesting. We are accustomed to speaking of Christ as our mediator, as the one who intercedes for us. And that's true. He is doing that. He lives to make intercession for us, we read in Hebrews 7. That if the devil, if he was able, was perhaps to tell God some sin that could prevent the Father from hearing us, Christ is there at the right hand as our advocate and as our, and as our mediator. Say, hear, say, actually, no, no, hear this one, for he's loved by me. And so... In the spiritual activity of prayer, we have two intercessors within the Godhead acting on our behalf. One within, the Holy Spirit who indwells all of those who are born again and who are, who are regenerated and is the means by which our prayers are brought to the Father. And then also one in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. And prayer then is truly a Trinitarian exercise. As it is addressed to God the Father, as we'll see in a few weeks, it is in and through the mediatorship and the intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is by the enabling grace, guidance, and as well, intercession of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit then continues to help us in prayer by providing even for us recorded prayers, Matthew 6, 9-13, that's the Lord's Prayer. Uh, how was the Bible written is when they were carried along by the Spirit, and the Spirit also fills us with biblical praise, five, Ephesians 5, 18 to 19. And he helps us whenever we ask the Father, Luke eleven thirteen. When our suffering is simply too great to be expressed with words, the Spirit even groans for us, Romans eight twenty six. The Holy Spirit is the very breath of the church's prayers. Prayer then is having the Spirit's breath helping us to communicate the Son's blood making a way, and the Father's ear attuned to our every plea. Our triune God provides all we need to pray. Third category, prayer is for things agreeable to God's will. Now, I expect this category to be handled well in the coming weeks, actually, as the Lord's Prayer instructs us to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. In other words, our prayers should be so in accord with what God wills that we should never ask for anything selfish or outside of his will. It's not that our will is that, is that we, it's not that in prayer we are willing that our desires are to be done, but that the Lord's will will be done. John Bunyan has said, prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate, 
pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised or according to his word for the good of the church with submission in faith to the will of God. The, the work of prayer is not to move or remove God. It's not to take God to a different place and to assume that our will is the height of what is good, but it's to move our hearts to where God is in a matter. It's always good and it's always a safe idea to pray God's promises back to him. Uh, for if he has promised to do something, then we can be sure that it is his delight to answer such prayers. The Puritans used to call this pleading the promises with God. And we cannot expect God to give us everything which we ask of him. But scripture guarantees that some things will be ours when we pray for them. So think of that list of virtues, perhaps, that, that Peter mentions in Second Peter 1. Since we know that God desires for us to have these things, it is perfectly sensible for us to pray for them. It makes for itself a, a good prayer list. Do you not know at some points what it is that you should pray for, for maybe yourself even? Well, just open up to Second Peter, verse 5 through 8. says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. You could eat those... The Lord wants us to have those things. So it's a very easy thing for you in prayer then, if you want to be thinking about praying in agreement with God's will, to pray and ask for those things. God is certainly delighted to give his children who ask in faith and believe uh, at those times. Now, they have to be asked for in the right way, and so more on that in a moment. But the catechism here cites 1 John 5.14 and Romans 8.27. We looked at the Romans passage already in the last category, which reminds us that the Holy Spirit helps us in prayer. And certainly the Holy Spirit is not going to lead us to pray against God's will, right? So you can see why they would include that here. But let's also consider 1 John 5.14. So if you had opened up to 2 Peter, just right to the right. 1 John 5.14. And once again, we're going to read two verses. 1 John 5, 14 to 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So asking according to the Lord's will, or for things that is, that are, that is agreeable, to his will is part of praying properly. Remember, we're not trying to move or remove God when we pray. Praying is not about getting our way, but it's about our way being made to line up with God's will. Everything that God does is right. Everything he desires even will come to pass. So think even of the Lord Jesus Christ when he was in the garden before he was betrayed. He knew what was coming up. It was part it was his part in the covenant of redemption to go forward as, a, as true God and true man to the cross to pay the penalty of sin. Father, Son, and Spirit have a single will between them, so it's not as if there is ever disagreement or divergence of plan between them. But in the Son, the one person which contains the two natures, one human and one divine, is the doctrine of the hypostatic union. There are also two wills. 
And so in the garden, the son was able to pray. If you read, you probably may know this prayer already. In Luke 22:42. There Jesus prays. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's often a confusing passage for, for many. And don't misunderstand this. Jesus knew that he was going to be going to the cross, but he said this to show us how it is that the created will should be in line with the creator's will. He knew the pain his physical body was going to endure, but nevertheless, may God's will always be done. Now, don't misunderstand this. Sometimes we can pray for God's will to be done, and we can, in doing so, be praying for a good thing. Be praying for something that is in agreement with God's will, even. Like, for example, praying for you know, someone to return to the Lord. Or even like tonight, for example, I was praying that people would see the beauty and the mercy available to them in attending an evening service rather than a football game, which does nothing for their soul. Nothing good, that is. And at some times, you know, these prayers aren't answered in the way that we want them to. But we can be certain that God is still working through them as a means. And we'll have to say, save other conversation about the will of God for when we get to the Lord's Prayer. Otherwise, that, that will take up all of our time tonight, thinking about the will of God. Fourthly, prayer is to be in the name of Christ. Prayer is coming to the Father in the merits of Christ. An American citizen, for example, cannot hold office in the United Kingdom or assume he deserves special privileges from the Queen. God rest her soul. I guess we should, we should say the King now, really. And likewise, no sinner can stand on his own merits before the King of Heaven. We need Christ's mediation in prayer. And so by faith in Christ's work, we become citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but through his righteousness. And therefore, we gain confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, Hebrews 10, 19. The righteous, or that righteous standing that we have by the blood of Christ is what it means to pray really in the name of Christ, as the catechism states. Consequently, every time we pray, we should remember our standing by confessing our sins and thanking God for how mercifully he receives us through Jesus. And we'll talk about that in the seventh point. But we can't forget, and certainly in prayer, we shouldn't forget how it is that we have access to God. We're not approaching God in prayer based upon our own goodness. It's because of the work of Christ as the last Adam. It's by Jesus and the work that he did in our place. His righteous life accredited to us through the faith that he supplies to us and his atoning death on the cross, which paid for, our, our penalty, paid for the penalty of our sins. His passive and his active obedience. That is what enables us to have the right to come before God. And so we bring our prayers to the Lord in the name of Jesus. He tells us to do this even. The Catechism cites this verse. This is back in John's Gospel. John 16, 23 and 24. John 16, 23 and 24. Again, this is part of you know, the last testament of Jesus. This is when he's in the upper room with his disciples and he's sharing with them all of these last things before he goes to the cross. Verse 23 and 24 say, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask, 
of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now as, we, as we've seen, whatever you ask of the Father in my name isn't some magic formula, right? We have to compare Scripture with Scripture. And so we know that there must also be an asking of something that is in accord with God's will. But Christ's instruction here is clear, isn't it? We should ask in his name. And that's been the practice of the church, by and large, for millennia since he said that. I mean, mostly all of us, even tonight during our prayer meeting, when we close our portion of individually praying, we said, in Christ's name. That's what we do as Christians. That Roman Catholic dogma that teaches people to pray to Mary and to pray in her name is quite simply a lie from the devil so that their prayers would not be heard. And I I know they dress it up all nice, saying that, well, we are so sinful, and Mary was his mother, and so that, you know, you pray to Mary because then he won't refuse her. But that's not a biblical notion. Mary was a sinner who needed a Savior, just like each and every one of us. And the atonement of Christ has given us access to the throne of God to receive mercy and to receive grace to help in time of need. There are no other human mediators that we need other than Christ Jesus, who is true God and true man. And again, we have the intercessory work of the Holy Spirit helping us in prayer as well. Fifthly, prayer is believing. This is what I was referring to earlier in the section on things agreeable with the will of God, uh, because not only are we to, uh, to pray for the will of God to be done, but part of that has with it an element of faith as well, which would mean that true prayer can only really be done by someone who has been acted upon for salvation by the Holy Spirit. Because there has to be true belief, knowledge, assent, and conviction that that God also does answer our prayers. We aren't just offering up prayers to the sky to have them bounce off the roof of the universe. They are ascending to the throne room of God as the means by which God accomplishes his will in creation, Revelation 8, 3 and 4. And so we should pray in agreement with God's will in the name of Christ and also believing that God will answer our prayers. The request is to be made in faith. The Catechism cites James 1 through 6, but let's read James 1 through 1, 6 through 8. We'll do a few verses there. <clears throat> Verse 6, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. John Calvin comments on this passage explaining that faith is that which relies on God's promises and makes us sure of obtaining what we ask. Calvin's not saying that we can be sure that the Lord will give us anything that we ask for, for he grounds certainty in God's promises, not not what we ask. But we can know for sure that the Lord will give us what he promises for us, for he loves us and he never makes promises to his children that he cannot keep. True faith always believes God will do what he says. It does not claim that the Lord will, will give what he has not promised, but it trusts that God has our best interests at heart when we ask for things that are lawful and are promised to us. And in such cases, faith trusts that the Lord is good, whether that answer is yes or no. 
Sometimes no is an answer. Matthew 21, 22 is also cited in the catechism, and that reads, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And we've talked about faith many times before here. Faith isn't wishful thinking. It's not some sort of blind hope. The Reformed have always seen faith in three categories. Faith is knowledge of Christ and God and what they have done and said. It is assent to that knowledge. In other words, a conviction that it's actually true. And lastly, it's confidence, a personal trust in the matter. Faith, saving faith that is, is a gift from the Lord, Ephesians 2.8. And apart from faith, it is impossible to please God, Hebrews 11.6. And so it's very simple then. Would it be pleasing to God to pray in Christ's name? Yes, of course it is. Would it be pleasing to God to pray for his will to be done? Yes, of course. And so, of course, then, prayer is done in believing, in faith, because apart from faith, it can't really be done anyways. Puritan William Grinnell notes, Positively, to pray in faith is to ask of God in the name of Christ what he hath promised, relying on his power and truth for performance without binding him up to time, manner, or means. We believe that God can answer and will answer and will do it, especially if we are praying in align, along with his will. And if he doesn't, we understand that he is working in that as well too and doing what is right and best. Sixthly, Prayer is with confession of our sins. Now, this is also a category that will be addressed in detail as we work through the Lord's Prayer. It's not that every prayer must contain with it a confession of sin, but there should always be a, real, a realization of our sinfulness and the ability by which we come to God in prayer. And what, the, what is at this, what is, it, what is that confession at heart? Is that is that agreeing with God. When we confess our sins to God, we are saying that we agree with him about our actions. We're saying that he is right. What, we have, what he has said about what we have done when we're confessing our sins, we're saying that he is right, what we have done is wrong. Daniel 9.4 is cited by the Catechism, and that's, that is to teach us about the notion of confession. We need to start at verse 3, though, so we can understand why they are citing that. Daniel 9, 3 and 4. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God to make confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So Daniel is going before the Lord in prayer and he's, he's doing so in light of the sin of Israel and he's seeking God through a number of means that God would come through on the promise to redeem them, which of course God would be pleased to do. Daniel was in the midst of that 70-year period of judgment that Jeremiah had prophesied about, that period of judgment that came about because of Israel's sin and Daniel doesn't make light of it, even though he knew that God had promised to restore them. But he continued in prayer, confessing their sins and showing true remorse over them. Because as I said earlier, prayer is often the means by which God is accomplishing his purposes. God ordains the end 
which in this case is the restoration of Israel from Babylon. And he also ordains the means by which it happens too. And the means in this part, or part of the means in this, are the faithful prayers of those who pray according to God's will. Daniel in this case. More on that will be said in the coming weeks. This last category, number seven, prayers with thankful acknowledgments of his mercies. You know, it's one thing to agree with the children's catechism, that prayer is talking with God. But if you think about it, that's actually quite profound. You are a mere creature. If you have a good grasp of your sin and your place before God, then a, then a mere worm even. And yet, because of the covenant of grace, we have access to God to talk to him. That our voices could ever even be heard by a holy God is truly humbling. And so prayer should be accompanied with a thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And notice, not just the, the topic of mercy, but it's his mercies. The Westminster Larger Catechism breaks down this question of what is prayer and the answer into a whole other handful of questions. Remember I've said before that the Baptist Catechism is almost a a copy of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. A lot of it is the same except for specific key points. Well, the Baptists don't have a equivalent to the Westminster Larger Catechism. And the Westminster Larger Catechism goes into a lot more detail than the Shorter Catechism, Catechism, which obviously makes sense. And so when it comes to this topic of prayer in the Westminster Larger Catechism, they break down the whole answer section that the Baptist Catechism has into its own section of questions and has its own more detailed answers. And so the Westminster Larger Catechism says this about praying with thankful acknowledgments of his mercies. It says, we are to pray with an awful apprehension of the majesty of God and a deep sense of our own unworthiness, necessities, and sins with penitent, thankful, and enlarged hearts, with understanding, faith, sincerity, fervency, love, and perseverance, waiting upon him with humble submission to his will. Again, it's, it's no small thing that the God who created everything with but his voice, that he hears us, that he cares to pay attention to our voice. Us who aren't worthy of it in ourselves to come before him, but he makes a way for us. And that should lend itself to our prayers, always having an air of thankfulness to them. Even when we go to God in a broken heart, lamenting our sin or lamenting the sin of the people among us. Because no matter what the situation is, friends, God is with you and you are assured that he hears you. The catechism cites Philippians 4.6. We're going to read 4.6 and 7. Last time we have to do that. Four six, do not be anxious about any anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, no matter what is going on in your life, whatever it is that may even be lending itself to bring us to anxiousness, we can go to God. He's our dear Father. He loves us with the same love that he has loved his eternally begotten son. 
John 17, 23, Jesus is praying. He's closing up that prayer that we call the high priestly prayer where he's interceding for the church. And he says, he talks about how he is in the Father and how the Father is in him. And then he prays that we all, the church, may become perfectly one with him and the Father and the Spirit so that the world may know that he has been sent by the Father and that he has loved us all with the same love that he has been loved with. How, how good is that, brothers and sisters? Whatever in your life, whatever it is that is causing you grief, that is causing you stress, it's most likely real. I'm not downplaying that. But we can still be thankful for the Lord's mercies. Because even with these things, God, the only God, he loves us mere creatures with the same love that he has loved his son with from all eternity. And because of that, we can pray to him even over these matters. We are to pour our souls out to God. Why, friends? Because Christ is a sure anchor for our souls. His mercies are always there for us and he is always faithful. So let's, let's pray and then we can... Talk about it, answer any questions that you might have, but let's, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, it is our pleasure to pray, knowing that you, the God of all creation, the only God, all-powerful, mighty, perfect in every way, you who spoke the universe into existence, you hear our shallow and often empty voices. Lord, we know that even the prayers that we pray are not righteous enough to ascend to you by themselves, but we are so grateful and thankful for the mercy of Christ and the intercessory work of your Spirit and of Christ Jesus so that we can be confident that you are hearing us. And we pray, Lord God, that you would help us to always pray according to your will, that you would give us over to more faithful praying, Lord, and that through these next 10 weeks or nine more weeks as we focus on prayer, we ask that you would help us to be humble and to be meek, that you would grant us to be teachable, and that, Holy Spirit, you would help us to be a people who are given to prayer, that we remember humbly how much it is that we always need you and how capable, capable it is that you are. So teach us then to bring everything to you in prayer. We know that we are so blessed to be able to do so. And we thank you for loving us and for hearing us. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. So tried to keep it as brief as I could, knowing that we're going to get into all these topics coming up. But if there is anything I could try to clarify, happy to help in that regard. Yeah, there's that fine line, right? So I think I was going a little fast there, but we should want, you know, what the Lord wants. And so if our prayers are, if our heart, if our will is lined up with his, then yeah, he delights to give us the desires of our heart. But that's only when so much our will is lined up with his. So I mean, I'm speaking more along the I was, I think when I was saying that, I was thinking more along the lines of when we pray not according to God's will. 
Yeah. It's Fred, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, on the, uh, the traffic thing you were talking about. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, this, my neighbor asked me one time, he goes, so, you know, we, I, we work the bees and praise the Mary and saints, you know, and so, and he's a moderate Catholic, but um, he, when he said, he goes, so you, he goes, is, is it a sin then, or is it just God doesn't hear your prayers? I mean, my, I, I didn't really answer that. The only thing I told him was, well, would you rather go directly than, you know, basically go through second hand? Uh, but I don't, I don't think that's the answer, but uh, I, I always be clear because the Bible doesn't really, at least I, I think it's really good. Yeah, I was thinking mostly of like using Mary as a mediator, but I, there's obviously an aspect of confessing our sins to one another, right? James talks about that as well. But yeah, the, the I'm not sure exactly where your question was going, but like, do we need to go to a confession booth? Is that what you're kind of? No, I mean, if, you, if you're a Catholic, let's say, and you pray to the saints, number one is, is that a sin? I don't oh. think it is. And number two is, does God even hear your prayers? Yeah. Um, so... Scripture never instructs us to. Scripture never instructs us to pray to anybody but God. So we have to think of what sin is, right? Sin, just like sin, is lawlessness. It is a transgression of God's law, and so God's law, lawfulness. He, Jesus teaches us how to pray, right? And so He tells us to pray to our fathers in heaven, and then hallowed be Your name. And He goes along that, and so. In that regard, looking at it from that aspect, I think we could say really it is sinful to pray to a saint who's, who can't answer our prayers, who we can't be certain hears our prayers. We can maybe appeal to that one account with Lazarus in, in a, is it John's gospel where Jesus is telling. And, you know, Lazarus, this guy goes to, um, is Lazarus the bad? I can't, I'm blanking right now. He's a good, he's a good Lazarus guy. the good one. So there's a guy who goes to, to the rich guy who does not go to Abraham's bosom. Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah, right. Not the not necessarily the Lazarus who Jesus um, resurrects, but before that happens. And so, you know, he says that he can't cry out to his brothers who are still here. Jesus tells them that they have Moses and the, and the the prophets to listen to. And so I don't know that you know. That no, they wouldn't even hear. There's nothing in the Bible that would make me think that they could even hear us at all. And to me, even, I think what maybe irks me the most is that it, it, it downplays the glory of my Lord and Savior. He could do it. <laughs> like, he doesn't need St. Thomas or Mary or, you know, any of the other saints. Jesus is enough. He's more than enough. And so why would anybody seek to pray to a saint? And, you know, the Roman Catholic Church, they have a lot of, there's a lot of, like, parts over here that you have to kind of bring in to understand, too. I mean, they don't consider everybody even a saint, right? You have to, to be a saint. You have to have had done a certain number of miracles and good works to even be a saint, whereas Scripture is clear. Everyone who is filled with the Spirit is a saint. So in reality, the Roman Catholic Church ends up propping up these men and women um, and a lot, I mean, a lot of them are just flat out heretics. Like I've heard things about mother Teresa where, I mean, she just, she was a heretic, like she's t- totally fine with praying to like, uh, the Indian gods and like that where she was ministering to. It was absolute syncretism and pluralism, but that's common for the Roman Catholic church as well. And so 
what they end up doing is, and whenever you elevate men, you steal glory from the Lord. Amen. There's no way to, I think, get around that. You also see, I think, a lot in practice that Catholics who pray to saints pick the saint that's most like them because in a sense, it's almost like you're appealing to yourself rather than appealing to the Lord. You want to find a human being that parallels you and then you, you, you send your worshipful adoration towards that individual. So in a sense, it's almost like mirroring yourself in a saint. And that's, that's clearly selfish. And when we go to the Lord, one of our greatest joys should be the wonder that he is so much greater than us. And that though we are not like him and his holiness, that he chooses to love us anyway. So you, you, you don't get that when you're praying to one of the saints. I just want to add, too, that uh, as an ex-Roman Catholic, I think how demonic it is to pray to uh, saints. I, just, I was going to share these verses. Uh, <clears throat> necromancy was a form of communication with the dead, right? And so it was a crime in Scripture. Would they just say that they're living? Is that how they would try to get around that? Around that? <clears throat> Excuse well, me. You're talking about someone who's in purgatory or something? And they die. Yeah. And so you pray over them after they die to hope to get them to heaven. Yeah. You continue praying. If you're in purgatory, you continue to pray for that person. This, what this maybe really shows us, you guys, is how much Christ's atonement is linked to our doctrine of prayer. Because we understand as Protestants Christians that Christ's atonement has made it such that we now have boldness and access to the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy to help in time, time of need. But their, atone, their version of the atonement is so lacking. Those people are still under a weight of the law that they think they need Mary, all these other saints. They don't, have, they don't go to heaven right away. They have to go to purgatory. It's, it's all a downplaying in a really sad way well, of the work of Christ for our salvation. <laughs> well, everyone goes to purgatory, right? Well, no one goes immediately to heaven. Yeah. You have to be really, really, really or a saint. good. Or yeah. yeah. a saint. Yeah. Uh, and that's how you become a saint. You can only be a saint after you die. Right. Right. Yeah. Because after a certain year, it's because they have to go back. They have to evaluate the miracles you did. Yeah. And all your did. Words, yeah. yeah. I have two questions now. 
Okay. Um, one question. Let me get back to that because <laughs> he said something. Oh, this is one thing I never understand is that you guys call us saints. How are we saints? We are not saints. Why not? Because if the scripture dead. calls us saints, would you believe that we're saints? Because in several areas in Paul's letters, he refuses. He refuses. Okay, Romans one seven to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called saints. Why are we saints? Ephesians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus Isn't and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you. What's saint mean? What's saint mean? That what is that? Okay, follow the Lord. Saints from root word sanctified, right? Holy, really? Holy. We're not holy. Only God's holy. Are you not washed by the blood of Christ? Yes. Or are you filthy in your sins? This is this is the really great thing. Okay, because in Roman Catholicism, they teach that you are holy, that you have Christ's righteousness infused into you. And what that means is that it's, it's mixed with your unrighteousness. And so you're still filthy. And so you don't have that access. But what the Bible teaches is that Christ's righteousness has been imputed to you. So that we have, so that when God sees us, he sees Christ. It's not us. We're holy based only upon the merits of Christ. Not, not, not our own works. Now, we should pursue holiness. We should pursue righteousness and goodness. But as far as our justification we're goes... To, we're, we're, are, we're trying to be more like Jesus? We want to glorify him, yes, of course. Right. Because as we now realize that his law is good, and so we desire to keep it because we know it gives him glory and it's good for us and good for our neighbor. Mm-hmm. But that does not make us righteous. All that does is that is our, it gives good works to our fellow man. What makes us righteous is Christ's work alone. His life, his death, accredited to us through the faith that he supplies to us. And so that's why we are called a saint. Because of who, what Christ has done for us. Because he has taken us who were by nature children of wrath and enemies of God. And he has what Jesus prayed even in John 17, that he now loves us with the same love that he loves his eternal son with, had and has always loved him with. So it's, um, it's our gospel issues, you know. Yeah. We talk about sometimes something being a gospel issue. When it comes to our disagreements with Roman Catholicism, and I, and I hate just calling them Catholic because I like to be called Catholic. Catholic just but talks... you're not a Catholic. I am a Catholic. I'm not a Roman Catholic. That, that's a much different thing. The church, the Catholic church, goes back way before Rome. There is, there's many people, think about from the time of the apostles, Polycarp, uh, Irenaeus, Tertullian, there's all these people, Josephus. Augustine, Josephus, there's all these people that are part of the body of Christ that are Catholic. But those, that's Roman Catholic. That started in the Council of Trent you know, after the Reformation, so like early 17th century is when that happened. Okay, question two. Um, when you say that we are to pray in Jesus' name, uh-huh. 
you know, for his will to be done. There's, but then you said we could pray for our desires. But our desires may not be his will. So what if we pray for something that may not be his will so we don't ask for him to pray and, and his will be done. We just say, please God, please do this. And not that it's his will, it's your will. Well, God, so that's along the lines of what John was asking about. So sometimes we, it is possible, I think, for a Christian to pray for something that's not God's will. And the answer, of course, to that is no, right? I was like, I want to win the lottery. Can you please let me win the, the billion, the, the quadruple million dollar? Yeah. You know, it's like God's saying, no. And, you know, I mean... If you keep praying for something and praying for something and it doesn't happen, I mean, that kind of teaches you, right, that maybe you should change your prayer. Depends on the situation. If so, without you being specific, I don't really know how to well, okay. answer exactly. I don't know what God's will is to do with, you know, okay, Trish, well, so, Trish and Steve and Trey. I don't want Trey to go okay, yeah. without her, his grandmother. Sure. I want him to stay right here with Trish to see that's the best thing for him. Okay. So I've been praying about that. But I'm not praying that, it, you know, it, it's your will. I'm saying just do it. <laughs> <laughs> you tell God what like to do? Why do you want it to be done? <laughs> because he'd be better off here. How do you know and that? I know that. How do you know that? If God knows better than you, do you think he's going right. to take orders from you? <laughs> Well, don't you think Trey would be better off with That's the That's not the question I asked. <laughs> <laughs> what if it's not God's will for Trey to grow up in a Christian home? And maybe it's not God's will for Trey to ever even know the Lord. We don't know those things, right? So we should always, part of prayers is a humble recognition that God is the one who's in control. So we should be seeking his will in prayer. Now, it's totally fine, I think. I'm praying that Trey will stay there as well. But okay. you're praying if it's your will. Right? I'm praying that, yeah, God's will will be done. Yes. Because God knows better than I do. He's got a bigger mind than our pea brain. Much bigger. <laughs> Would you understand what I mean? It is. Oh, but at the same time, what if Trey's, what if Trey's grandma <laughs> is a really great person and would and trey would have a a good life there see some of these things we just don't know like we don't know what the future is going to hold i I mean who knows god's plan for example it could be that trey stays with steve and then he never comes to the lord he's never humbled or it could be god's will that trey goes with his grandma and he comes to the lord later in life what would be better trey to go with grandma right so we don't know all those things we're not trying to accomplish our will through prayer, we're wanting God's will to be done, and we trust God because we know that He does what's right. So, if we are praying for our will to be done, stop. We're just really telling God we know better than Him. Stop. Pretty much, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and God saying, "Okay, you know better." Doesn't mean I'm gonna answer it. <laughs> Brian, let me God, come back to you. Uh, if I could add to that, yeah. Um, what? Well, yeah, we don't know God's will in a lot of many particulars. Sure. this is what I would like to happen. And the way that we make it God's will 
is by saying, Lord, in our heart, ascending, not my will, but thy will. So it's both. It's this is my desire, but at the end of the day, your will, not mine. Uh, maybe, I could maybe probably do that. It's a little tough. I could probably do that. It's a little tough because I, I was fearful about the discussion of God's will just because that's such a big topic. And so God only has one will, right? But when we think about Scripture, it talks about we have to understand that God has decreed everything. And so in one sense, when we talk about God's will, we're thinking of what he has decreed. But then also there's things in Scripture that say like, flee sexual immorality for this is the will of God. And so there, there's a way in which we think of his will by which he has told us is plain and true, like which, which laws to, you know, to keep, to obey. And so we might pray for those things, but whether they happen or not, we don't necessarily know, but God's decree is certainly going to happen. And so when we say, nevertheless, your will be done, we're thinking of God's decree because we don't know what it is. It's not revealed to us. The, the hidden things belong to the Lord, right? Is it Deuteronomy 29, 29. And so... And of course, we gotta be we gotta be super careful. Uh, the the thing that's particularly uh, unique about the Garden of Gethsemane prayer, yeah, is that it's already set up. The decree will is already set up. The yeah, will not happen. Like Absolutely. that's a, that's a known between both parties. Amen. And yet he's still. Prayed it. <laughs> he still puts it out there. Yeah, I know. But, as, and he still also says, your will trumps his request. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it's, Amen. at the end of the day, it's always his will, but going back to the catechism, that first verse of pouring out our hearts. Yeah. And then at the end of it, for whenever, who knows, uh, in our hearts assenting, there's that your will is, of course, the Amen. Yeah, I've heard before, I'm sure you guys may have heard this before too, that because that, people struggle with that. Like, Jesus is God. Why is he praying for this to not happen if he knows it's going to happen? So sometimes I've heard people say that he's doing it because it's part of his true humanity, that he almost has to do this because he knows the weight of what he's going to be experiencing. And I get that too. I think that could be it. I don't know if you guys feel good with that explanation for it, at least. But I also think, too, it's part of showing that submission, kind of along the lines of what you're talking about, Brian, that, that God's will is greater than ours. And so whatever your will is, Lord, be done. And Christ is true man and true God at the same time. Having those, he's different than any other person. Right? He has two wills in the one person, which is hard for us to think of because um, he's totally unique in that regard. Nobody else is like that. Yeah, Matthew 6 is not the only place that he teaches us how to pray. And in the garden, we're learning how to pray there too. You yeah. know? Matthew 6 doesn't say pray in Jesus' name. <laughs> so right. we'll have to get to that, I guess, at some point. Uh, Carol Darlene is back here too. Oh, I didn't have much to say. Just other than um, that he was setting an example that he, he was pouring out his heart to God. Yeah. That he knew he was facing something really, really, I mean, difficult. But nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but yours. Your will be done. So it was just a huge example of where to pray. But one thing I did, I don't know if you want me to bring this up or not, but one prayer you, we would never stop praying, I don't think, is for people to be saved. So yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. no answer until you die. <laughs> I, that absolutely. That's dies. your no at that point, right? Or we'll, yeah, yeah, and the hard thing to wrap my mind around is when God says he's not willing for any to perish, and yet not all are chosen. And it's just one of those things where you have to be able to accept and 
you know, that God, God's will be done and that his wisdom is greater than ours. Yeah. But it's like sometimes it's hard to have. I'm just being honest. Yeah, sometimes absolutely. It's hard That's to good. Have yeah. Peace about people you love realizing that maybe it isn't God's will. Maybe they're not chosen. So, there are those tensions that exist in scripture. I'm with you, though. I think we continue to pray until we no longer can. And part of the thing that gives us the encouragement to do so is considering that God was merciful to us. Like, what, what was the reason that God softened my heart and drawn me to him? Like, there's nothing good in me. And so that gives us reason to continue to plea yeah, with God to, to have mercy on this person. Uh, Darlene first. Okay, I have one an explanation. Um, and to go when I was on going to college on campus, there was a group that was saying the only way people could pray was flat out on the ground, face down. You had to lay down and pray. And I thought you can't do it any other way no way now was that a cult or a church or you know what was going on then as they were saying that must have is there been people doing some, that i think you can talk talk about a lot of us talk about people falling prostrate i think it'd be like a position of severe humility but you don't have to do that what really matters is your heart right your the position of your heart has your heart been your heart of stone been turned to a heart of flesh. You know, so then you have that access to over uh-huh. there. So your bodily, so, okay, so what I say this, you don't have to face Mecca. You don't have to face a certain way and, and pray certain times of the day. All that is just man-made religion. That's right. We, we worship in spirit and truth. Yeah. Right? And prayer is worship. Because I'm praying all day long and mentally and... That's what the Lord verbally. says, actually, right? We're commanded yeah. to pray, pray without, without ceasing. Yeah. I'm talking right. to God. Yeah, so, so it's literally impossible to do if you have to do it face down all the time. You just but you're supposed to be stronger in prayer when you lay down, is what they were saying. Yeah, that's weird. Stuff up. That's weird. Yeah, <laughs> I'll lay yeah, run from them. There was somebody back here. Was it? <laughs> you know, John. Oh, no, that's hard. <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to say I was grateful when you said earlier about reading out to the Lord what He's poured into us. I think that to me is like a. A really accurate representation of the image of what prayer is supposed to look like and the language of the preacher is dependence. I think I can't remember which uh, it was a reformed Baptist from the South I listened to uh, Jim Gable when talking about prayer is God graciously revealing and including us in what he is doing revealing in his will what he's already doing, right? Yeah. And so um, you know, we're thinking about what Brian was saying. I was thinking about that, about how, you know, and what Carol was saying about it is painful when we have lost loved ones because, you know, there's been so many people I've prayed for over the years being a believer that I've had to cross them out, obviously. We see they die and don't know the Lord. They go to hell. And so uh, I always think of that Proverbs, I think, 69, it says, There are many plans in a man's heart. The Lord, that will stand, right? uh-huh. You know, a man plans his way, but the Lord will direct the steps. Yeah. I mean, God is sovereign. And like um, Jason Rouse said, there's nothing more offensive to the human heart than the sovereignty of God. I mean, that's that's about as heavy as it gets. And I think our prayers kind of reveal that a lot. 
you know, when we don't get what we want, and God brings, you know, things that are uncomfortable in our lives, it really reveals where our heart is, you know, and yeah. we have to trust him. Uh, I like what this guy, uh, Southern Dallas, said, we got to bow the knee and kiss the reign of providence. I mean, that, it's pretty heavy to me. Yeah, I, I think even along to your lines, I, I think it might have been Spurgeon who said that like everyone who maybe contrasting like Calvinism and Arminianism, that every even Arminianist Arminianist prays like a Calvinist because you never hear someone even if you're thinking of someone coming to the faith, you never hear someone pray, oh you know help help John to be John is so wise Lord. He's going to choose, he'll choose you. Just, you know, let it happen. Or it's, it's always there. I don't even know how to pray like an Arminian would, to be honest. But it, there's only one way. It's what God does. Like you're saying, God is sovereign. Yeah, yeah. 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 save him. Yeah, Chris? Two um, questions on salvation. Now, there's people that say that they don't believe in God, that they're agnostics, they're, I forget the other word. Um, Atheists? Huh? Atheists? Atheists, yeah. yeah. But yet, when they find themselves in real times of trouble, they cry out to God for help. Why is that? Because everybody's made in the image of God. Image. Imago Dei. It's inescapable, right? Romans 1 says that everyone knows the truth about God, but they suppress that truth in their unrighteousness. Hmm. That makes sense. Okay. Even the atheist is so weird. Because then they're always mad at the Christian God, too. Because that they don't believe in. That they don't believe in. Yeah, I know. But they're mad at yeah. sure invest a lot of energy into something that's not really there. Yeah. They believe in themselves. They sure do. Right. And my friend Linda. Uh-huh. I beg her to come to church with me. Yeah. And she doesn't want to. But yet, when she's struggling and she calls me up crying she'll ask me to pray for her <laughs> and so I will either go down and pray for her mm-hmm. or I'll pray for her on the phone with her Yeah. and I'm always you know telling her that one day that one of you two are just going to show up at her door on a Monday morning at 9am not me that way you better go and see where Maybe she's at. at because you know what? <laughs> I don't know what she believes. Making she my baby's really breakfast. Want to talk about it. Well, it's, it's praise the, praise God. So how do she's I in trouble. She talks to you as a Christian. She asks you to pray. Uh huh. That's will pray with that's her. something, right? And so it's along the lines of what we're talking about tonight. So continue to pray for her, but then also believe that God will answer those prayers. And by that I mean continue to invite her, right? Because. Maybe she'll say yes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I keep threatening with you guys. Yeah, don't do that. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, you call me weirdo all the time. <laughs> yeah, she does. Hey. <laughs> yeah. So, but you praying, know what I'm saying? Praying in Jesus' name, though, right? I mean, that's, that's because he doesn't hear us without it, right? That, that he is our intercessor, that he is the one that has... My friend. Yeah, we have that. So there's, I think, a quote by MacArthur that's, that he says that if you leave off 
praying in Jesus' name that it just bounces off of, of the off the roof and it like comes back down. Have you heard what Bodhi said one time? No, what he said. He said one time he, he gave a prayer and he just said amen at the end of it. The lady came up to him and was like, Oh, you you didn't say in Jesus' name and he was just like, oh, what do you think you didn't hear it? Like you know, so, <laughs> Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean it it doesn't have to be so so much of a ritual, right? But, right. But, but we say it because he, it's because of him that we're even able to approach the Father, right? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. He's our mediator who's in, or in our intercessor who is in heaven. And it's a reminder to us, I think. It's a, more of a reminder to us than it is like some sort of a magic formula that gets him to do what he wants. It's a reminder to us that we have this access because of Jesus Christ. Mike, do you love your wife in Jesus' name? Yes. But if you give her flowers <laughs> and you don't say, I give these to you in Jesus' name, does it not count? Right. Like, as a Christian, we bear the name of Christ because we've been redeemed by him. So everything that we do, we should be doing in the name of Christ. That extends into prayer specifically. But it's, yeah, we don't have to think about that subtext, that last part as, like, the key that sends it on its way up to heaven. It's, it's a little foolish to think of it that way. It just needs to be done knowing that Christ is our mediator. Without a mediator like him, we would have no access. Yeah. I just like, feel like everything tonight too, it, it just brings everything to the same. Prayer, prayer is something to keep us humble, right? I Absolutely, mean, yeah. It, it's something to say that, you know, we're not the one that's sovereign. We're not, you know, we, we can't come to him without Christ. Uh, you know, it's not our will, but his will. Amen. So everything is drawing us down and bringing him up, right? Yeah. I, it's interesting to me when I think of like the in Christ's name too, because when Jesus instructs the disciples how to pray, especially I think he's thinking of corporate prayer at that time, because all of the pronouns are plural when he instructs them to do that. But he doesn't say at that time, and be sure to pray in my name. Um, but when I think of my own individual prayer life, sometimes I might, you know, a short prayer under my, be- under my breath, I might often not say in Jesus' name. And if you're praying without ceasing, even, be pretty hard to always close every aspect in Jesus's name you know so we we want to yeah we want to avoid um over like too rigidly looking at things even another thing too like the Lord's prayer is going to instruct us to begin every prayer to our father in heaven well I think we can we can also pray to Jesus we can also pray to the Holy Spirit I don't think that that's wrong there are probably some brothers that agree with that would disagree with me on that but I think especially in corporate prayer, you Father in heaven is, a, is primo, is the best way to go, and even ending with Christ's name. But um, well, to your comments, that's the humility that it in, breeds in us. That's the point. Yeah. Anything else, guys? Really good discussion. I enjoyed this part. Amen. Amen. All right, so no... Evening service next week. We have the picnic. Then we'll pick it back up the second week in October. Pizza? Right now? No?